Welcome to Hello from the Pluriverse, a podcast about sharing the stories of designers and design thinkers from different backgrounds around the world. I'm Leslie Ann Noel, a designer from Trinidad and Tobago and a professor of practice at Tulane University in New Orleans. The name of our podcast is a reference to Designs for the Pluriverse by Arturo Escobar. In our podcast, we explore the stories of designers from many different countries, women designers, designers of color, and designers from the LGBTQI community. In our interviews, we explore how place and identity affect their work, what they say about design, design thinking, and social innovation, and what advice they would give to non-designers who are using design methods. We'll continue to share more stories throughout the series about designers from many different worlds, from our little corner of the world at the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking at Tulane University in New Orleans. We- Welcome to the Hello from the Pluriverse podcast, sponsored by the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking at Tulane University, where we discuss the work of different designers and design thinking practices. My name is Michaeline Engelmeyer. I'm a first year student in the Master of Public Health Nutrition program. I'm also a design thinking graduate assistant working at the Taylor Center. And I'm here today with my co-host, Natalie. Natalie, do you wanna introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Natalie Hudnick. I'm in my second year in the Master of Public Health and Maternal and Child Health program here at Tulane's uh, School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. And I'm also a design thinking graduate assistant working at the Taylor Center. I hope to one day soon work in public health at the state health department, hopefully working in maternal and child health. And I'm originally from outside St. Louis, Missouri, and I have a bachelor's degree in cultural anthropology. Thanks so much, Natalie. Uh, So today we're going to be discussing the work of designer Lorenzo Hodges. Uh, Lorenzo is an innovation strategist and designer in Trinidad and Tobago and the wearer of many hats. He's the founder and managing director of Plain White Table Incorporated, business development manager at Telio Systems Limited, and the founder and managing director of Circulate Life. Lorenzo did not become a designer by going to school for design. Instead, he's learned throughout his career incorporating design into his work. So this interview was originally recorded in the fall of 2019. Michaeline and I are here today to hear what Lorenzo has to say about his approach to design thinking. And then after the recording, we'll be here to discuss our thoughts on what we learned and hopefully spark some discussion for our listeners. So I'm really looking forward to hearing about how Lorenzo incorporates design thinking practices into his work. I think he could provide ways non-designers can work to add in design methodologies into their own work. Uh, Michaeline, do you have anything you're looking forward to hearing? Yeah, I'm looking forward to just hearing about how um, Lorenzo has used his personal and professional journey to really shape his perspective on design. Awesome, so let's take a listen. All right, so, so for example, we're doing some work with uh, an, an eye care company. Uh-huh. Eye care, eyewear, opticians and optometrists. And in, in Trinidad here, this particular client has maybe about eight branches or so. So Trinidad is, I don't know if you're familiar with Trinidad at all. Um, uh-huh. a, yeah, a, an optician with, with, with eight branches is a large optician in the context of Trinidad. Uh-huh. Right. Um, our population is just 1.4 million people. All right. So the scale of Trinidad is not like in 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 the United States. Uh, we're much we're much significantly smaller. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, it's a it's an eye care company, and in their case, we went in last year, July, uh, July August last year, and we did some empathic research in there. 
Uh-huh. Really just to understand what, what do their customers experience when choosing their glasses frames. Right. And we did observations, we did interviews, we, we shadowed some of their staff, we interviewed their staff, we interviewed their customers, we did, we did a set of empathic research in there. Mm-hmm. Out of which we designed a new model, a new conceptual model, I should say, at this stage, because it's, it hasn't been, the actual physical layout hasn't changed yet. Uh-huh. But um, based on how we saw customers really experience their service, we developed a new conceptual model that would completely change the way in which they, they would lay out their stores uh-huh. for customers to access them. So the actual physical layout of the store uh, would be one of the things that would change. A lot of my design influence is not from here. Uh-huh. So a lot of my design influence is, I would say, is a, a bit European and not that I've been to Europe, but from what right. I've studied and what I've been exposed to and, and just the general design aesthetic that I, that I like uh-huh. um, would be a mix of European and American. Okay. Um, and even even a, a significant part of my design consideration really is influenced from stuff I've learned from IDEO. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've done, you're familiar with IDEO? Uh, I'm not. You're not, okay. Yeah. IDEO is a, where are they based? Well, they're actually an, an international firm now, but they, they originate in the, in, the, in, the, in the United States. They are a design, a design consultancy firm. Mm-hmm. Very large now, and they are some of the pioneers of, of design thinking. Huh. Um, in fact, they are the the founders of IBO are, are were heavily influential in the formation of, of D School at Stanford. Oh, okay. you familiar, you're familiar with D School at Stanford? I know just from uh, what Leslie's told us. You know of it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So they would have they would have been pivotal in the formation of D School itself, and so. Um, the way in which I, I see design is partly influenced by that. But also, my, my background, I um, have a bit of a background in the arts. So when I say the arts, um, from very young, my, my, my dad, I, have you heard of Carnival or Trinidad and Tobago Carnival? Everyone that has a carnival will tell you that their carnival is the best thing in the world. <laughs> Um, as would Trinidadians. Um, uh-huh. uh, but in Carnival, we have something called Masquerade, the uh, Parade of the Bands, and, okay. uh, and it's a masquerade. So there are costume makers that would make very elaborate costumes. My dad is, was a costume maker and a band uh-huh. leader. So okay. I grew up in, inside of a, um, a mass band, which was literally under my house. My house is two stories, so it was wow. on the ground floor on the ground floor of my home um, was that band. I later on would have gone on to do a bit of theater and dance. So I, I danced for a number of years when I was in university. I was part of the, the dance, theater, dance theater at university. Uh-huh. When I left university, I taught salsa and uh, salsa and rumba and some of the Latin that dances was, yeah. for, for a couple of years. I competed for a while. Um, and so all of these things actually helped to influence some of the, my design aesthetic and how I, how I see and consume and, right. and okay. perceive design, quite apart from my actual technique. So I guess those things would influence just my, uh, the cultural, uh, 
cultural factors that that inform or influence my my thinking behind design. Uh-huh. I, I I hope I'm answering your question. I'm not no, quite it, sure. You definitely um, are. Yeah. Right. Um, so so it is a mix of those things. So a lot of it from Trinidad, but then a lot when I read about design, I don't I I don't. I generally don't read about design in Trinidad <laughs> or in the Caribbean. I read about design from from the from the from Europe, Europe, UK, and the US mainly. So, admittedly, I am. I would not fit the mode of a typical designer in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people who, I think, would have a stronger claim to being designers than I am in Trinidad, uh, simply because they would have gone to school and studied design. I did not go to school and study design. Um, I picked up design in my career Mm -hmm. and studied it at different points as a, um, as a, as a practice Mm -hmm. and incorporated into my, into my work. And because of, most of my career, I've been working in the space of innovation in one way or another. I've, I've always right. been on the side of creating new value, creating new things, creating new products and new services. Um, I've always been on that side. And so my design, uh, uh, my design orientation for both problem solving, but also um, solving things in an elegant way. Uh-huh. That uh, and which is what to me design brings to it. so so design is about problem solving. But to me, what I like about when a designer solves a problem different from when anyone else solves a problem is that a designer makes the the solution elegant and and yeah. usable and and attractive and desirable right. and 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 there's there's some attention to detail. It's not just one of that's functional. And so, so I worked for many years with, with software developers who are also problem solvers. They are not designers, but they are also problem solvers. And they use their code and programming to solve problems. But mm-hmm. the way they do it is not very elegant at all. It is just, well, does it work? Okay, it works. I'm done. I'm there. Yeah, right. um, whereas, and, and, they, and they don't particularly care about the humans who have to use the software after. Right? Does it does it allow you to download the file that you need? Yes. Okay. Good. Problem solved. Right. Right. And he's like, well, yeah, but I have to go through all of these hoops to do it. Can't we make it more usable? Yeah. Right. So that people will actually enjoy doing it, and um, people won't have anxiety just in thinking about the process they have to go through to do it. So. Right. So. So so that's me as a designer, but in in Trinidad, I think. And with all due respect, I think to the designers that are here, they are the ones that study creative arts and um, actual visual design. And right. yeah. um, I, I don't even know all of the terms for it. Maybe you, you are probably more familiar with the terms than I am. There are those who do industrial design, so they go down the engineering track. Right. And they learn industrial design as as uh, um, in the process and so on. So there, are, in those spaces, there's a lot of content that I am aware that they would consume and read. Mm-hmm. I just never went down that track, and so I have not availed myself to that kind of content. So I'm I'm pretty certain 
there's a vast amount of content available uh, in in that space. Leslian, based on her her background, um, I think she would be more familiar with what the artists and designers in Trinidad would have, you know, the body of work that they'll be familiar with. But I'm just I came I came from an, a very different perspective, as I said, from accounting and then IT or, or web design. That was my entrance into the into the design world. So um, very different. My my choice of of literature to read is is um, really is not is not from Trinidad. The the guys at IDO are the ones who have taught at D school in in in, uh, in Stanford. Oh, okay. Um, I did, yeah, and I would have done online programs with them. So IDO has a an online school called IDO U. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and I would have done about three or four of their courses okay. on, online. So uh, what I like about theirs is that it's paid. A lot of, you know, all those, uh, there are a lot of online universities now uh, where you can do free courses. Yeah. Uh, statistically speaking, um, just the very design of it being free mm -hmm. um, has caused a higher level of people. Uh, uh, what's, sorry, let me say it differently a lower completion rate of all of the courses. There's a very low completion oh, rate of all of those free right. courses, yeah. partly because they are free. Right. And so when IDEO designed their school, they deliberately made it into a paid, a paid process because when people pay for it, okay. people commit to, right. that makes sense. To, seeing, to seeing it through. And you get, I think they are at 90 something percent level of engagement oh, wow. and, and completion and so on so yeah that, um, that makes a big difference yeah very very good example of design being used um very effectively in in, in that education space so i've done design work in in uh, barbados uh -huh. a bit in barbados i've done design work in guyana okay right um those will be two main the two main places outside of trinidad that i've that i've done design work and the most recent work would have been in in July would have been in Guyana. Mm -hmm. um, and in that case, the work, I, I was facilitating a workshop. Uh, so much of the design that I would have been involved in there would have been supporting others to, do, to, to develop their own designs. Uh -huh. And I think it naturally came up in conversation at different points, just the cultural difference. So while Guyana is partially a Caribbean country, uh -huh. um, we are, and there are similarities as a result of that, there are clear differences as well. Right. right? Just the geography of, of Guyana is very different. The, the economy is different. Uh -huh. And so the identity of a Trinidadian is, and the way in which we see ourselves is very different from the way in which Guyana the Guyanese people see themselves. Mm -hmm. And that came up at times in the, in the discussion. Right. Uh, some of the examples I would give would cause laughter in the room uh -huh. because for them, it's a, it's a foreign concept. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so the differences in that case uh, created an opening for a greater reception on the, on the other side uh -huh. because there was this... this foreign thing that came across as being humorous right. to them, whether it was my accent 
or the or the language, the the way we choose to describe different things, uh -huh. um, by itself made the conversation a lot richer and a lot more dynamic and and a lot and a lot more open um, because there was a there was a sense of commonality, but there was a sense of this thing that was different that made it that made me more approachable to them. Right, uh, which would be very different if I were uh, with a different accent altogether. Um, right. You know, it, 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 um, yeah, I think it, 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 in fact, helped to enhance the, to enhance the experience. Because I think in a lot of cases, I, so let me just tell you a bit about my company. Yeah. I work, though I lecture part-time, I work full-time in the space of innovation strategy and we and as a part of that we do new product development and new service design mm -hmm. as as well as we help companies to design new experiences for for their customers and so what i've found in a lot of the companies that that i go to most of my clients and even prospective clients they don't have a common language for how they go about problem solving. Okay. All right. Um, they don't have, like when they see problems, there's, a, there's a, a default philosophy that they have that causes them to see problems as something that, is, that would always be costly to fix and that would always take a long time to fix. Okay. And, and most of their methods are very linear, right? Very linear meaning, okay, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's do these traditional five steps. And all of the, the ways in which they do it would be, they're not, they're not the most collaborative of ways. Mm -hmm. So they don't encourage openness and sharing between colleagues. Yeah, they are affected by hierarchy and the authorities or authority systems in the room, and so people don't freely share their ideas. Right. And whenever people do share ideas, instead of ideas being received with openness and some level of consideration, which does not mean every idea gets approved, uh -huh. but instead of those ideas being at least heard for what they are and evaluated on the merit of the ideas, in most cases, bosses simply say no to ideas. Right. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm used to seeing. Okay? Yeah. And so when they, when they think about someone bringing an idea, they usually say no because they immediately evaluate, okay, if we were to implement that idea, it will cost too much money and it will take too much time. Uh-huh. And so quick calculation before they even entertain what the person is saying, they instinctively say no to ideas and that right. ends up stifling creativity in the organizations. What I like about design thinking is that I can go into any of those places and start rescripting the leadership to start with, mm -hmm. um, to get them to start seeing their people differently and seeing the way in which they go about problem solving differently. Even if I don't, teach them all of design thinking or all the basic principles of design thinking and different stages in the design process, I can introduce them to just the, the value of prototyping. 
Right. And so I, so I say things to them, which I, which I learned from IDEO, interestingly, which is instead of telling your team members no to their ideas, tell them, okay, sure, bring me a prototype. Uh-huh. And let's evaluate the prototype, which is giving encouragement, is giving incentive, and it's helping the conversation to go on further because now that employee who has the idea could, now, could go uh, feel a sense of uh, empowerment uh-huh. and go explore building out the idea to see can this thing work, would it not work, and then, and then bring it back. And that's just one example um, of ways in which I could just again, without even teaching them what it means to prototype anything. I, I'm not even getting into walking them through, this is what prototyping means and so on. I'm just dealing with getting them to appreciate the value of experimentation. Right. All right. Um, and so for me, I can see and have seen how design thinking changes the conversation. The other part is design thinking. I've seen how it, the empathic component that that area that has to do with coming coming to a place of empathy uh-huh. a genuine sense of empathy to those that you're solving problems for yeah I'm, I'm i'm seeing how it is actually changing and affecting the way in which people do business mm. because what has happened in in many of the companies that are again in many of my in for many of my customers and prospective customers their problem has been that they make assumptions about their customers today, assumptions that are based on stuff they last found out 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and they haven't done the work to deeply understand their customers today. Right. And customers have evolved a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when I, for example, in that eyewear company uh, that, we, that we worked with last year, when we did our studies, our team presented to the management team and the board of the board of directors. And when we shared what we found from our empathic research, it blew their minds. Uh-huh. And, and in fact, the CEO who had been in that particular company for over 20 years, he said, in all of the years that I've been here and in, for all of the companies that we've hired and all of the market research that we've done, mm-hmm. we've never heard this stuff before. Oh, and wow. then he ended by saying, quote, unquote, this is revolutionary. Wow, yeah. And all we did is we, we wore the shoes of the customer. Mm-hmm. We went in and we walked through the process ourselves. And, but we went in with, without biases and, and with our right. eyes wide open, looking just to see and experience what does the customer actually experience. And when we told yeah. it back to them, it, it had a huge impact on, on them. And, and they are now investing in some of the solutions that we pitched coming out of that. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, again, those are, in, in, in that sense, I endorse design thinking and, and I can think of many positive things about it. Uh-huh. I have heard negative sides about it. Um, there is one school of thought that says that, uh, like for, for, um, I remember last year I was, I was looking at some videos and there was this TED talk with a lady who, she's a graphic artist. Uh-huh. Um, I'm, I, I believe that's what, how she described herself. Maybe she's a visual artist or some other title now, but uh, that's the, yeah. Uh, she's a visual, she's a visual designer, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember her 
criticizing that, well, we don't need to do all this set of design thinking stuff. As designers, we intuitively just know. Oh. All right. Um, so there's this no. Sorry. I just think that that's a big assumption. Yeah, correct. There's this, this there's this assumption she's making that because they are creative, they know what's best for their customers without right. having to do the research, mm -hmm. right? Because they are creative, they know which fonts will work and which colors will work, and and to me, I felt as if it was a very incomplete argument because. Mm -hmm. What she was essentially talking about is a design aesthetic and a design outcome. You know, mm -hmm. the output of her design work and having good intuition about what that thing would be. Um, but but she never addressed the issue of design thinking being a framework for problem solving, mm -hmm. which may have nothing to do with the visual design. You know, what font type you would use and. Right. Um, and those kinds of those kinds of visual treatments in the end. So I didn't like that particular argument at all. Uh, there's another group called AJ and Smart, uh, well-respected guys. They are proponents of the design sprint. Are you familiar with the design sprint that came out of Google? Um, yeah, Have you heard of I've it? definitely heard of it, but can you remind me? Yeah, you should check it out. It's a five-day design sprint. Mm -hmm. um, and it's focused on product development. So it's a product development methodology. And you basically, over those five days, uh, I guess the, the, the short version of it is you'll have some time where you talk to experts and you'll have some time where you go through your own uh, mock-ups and wireframe sketches to see what they think it look like. Uh, but at the end, by day five, you have to have something built, some small component built that you can validate and test before a customer. Uh -huh. So, so those what five day sprints. Tested? Sorry. Um, is it all like software stuff? Because it was Google, or it's mainly yeah, correct. It's yeah. mainly software. So Google pioneered for their software. Although I think they used it for a coffee company that was uh, one of Google's startups uh -huh. uh, called Blue Bottle Coffee. Have mm -hmm. you heard of Blue Bottle Coffee? I think it's Blue I Bottle Coffee it. is the name. Yeah. I right. Um. Uh, so I think it's Blue Bottle Coffee. Um, so they did use it for Blue Bottle Coffee. Mm -hmm. um, um, but I think it would have been for the software and, and, and digital components related right. to Blue Bottle Coffee. I don't think they, they did it for like mocking up the actual coffee experience or any uh -huh. of those things. Um, but again, they as, as proponents of the Google Design Sprint, they have they did design thinking in the past and they know design thinking as a, a the philosophy of it mm -hmm. but this they basically say design thinking is not a product management a product development methodology and so um they basically say like uh, design thinking will tell you you know principles of cooking but it won't tell you how to actually make the meal Oh, interesting. Right. And that's yeah, that's their that's their take on it. And I and I understand why, because the the design sprint is in fact a step by step that gets you to a product at the end of it, a certainly in the software space. Uh -huh. And I and I believe it could work, it may be able to work to some extent in the hardware space as well. So I understand that logic. Mm -hmm. They have lots of videos online if you want to check them out. 
Um, it's AJ, uh, capital A, capital J, uh -huh. and Smart, just as the name is, Smart, AJ and Smart. Um, they have a YouTube channel, a rich YouTube channel, and they have quite a few videos talking about the negatives of design thinking, if you want to get there. Right. Um, so, interestingly, when they were coming out with their sharing their theory on design thinking, I had developed my own model of design thinking for product development. Oh. Um, and so I agreed and disagreed with them. Uh -huh. Agreed because I understood how I had to adapt it to, to make it work for product development. So one of the things that I teach is product development apart from practicing it uh, on, on the job. Uh, but I would have morphed um, the design thinking gener general methodology into something that would work in, in actually creating a product um, mm -hmm. that would end in different iterative cycles of just making higher, higher and higher fidelity models of, of, um, of the versions of the product, right? So, so I guess in that sense, you do have to know as a limitation in design thinking the base that it's very good at is it teaches you the thinking very clearly. How should, what should I be thinking when I'm um, in the empathic process, right. right? There's a, you have to put your own opinion aside um, and be open to hear others' views and so on. So there's, a, there's, a, there's an approach that you have to go through there. Similarly, when it comes to ideating, you want to think very openly Right. And 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 um, divergently and and so on. So there's a so so those things are very good. And each step by itself could be followed. But then, if you want to make a specific thing, you then have to work out. Okay, if I'm doing a um, if I'm developing, for example, a, a piece of software, mm -hmm. design thinking as an approach doesn't teach you storyboarding specifically right right storyboarding is useful at the at a different stage when you're prototyping but design thinking doesn't inherently teach you storyboarding right. design thinking doesn't inherently teach you wireframing for an app yeah right it doesn't inherently teach you those things what it tells you is find a way to create a, a version of the thing but you have to then find the way to create a version of the thing yeah and so yeah, so that's a, that's a limitation with, with design thinking. Um, but I don't see it as a limitation. Mm -hmm. When I say that, I mean design thinking is what it is. Yeah. It was meant, it, I think it, was the, it, was, it is meant to get you into a mode where you could productively work through issues and a problem and arrive at considerations of what that solution may be like very quickly mm -hmm. and that to me cannot be flawed i think that is that is very fine um uh what you do need is a set of supporting systems that would go with design thinking depending on what you're trying to achieve at any point in time advice to non-designers mm -hmm. i think the the number one thing for me is empathy mm -hmm. that's the biggest piece of advice I would give any, anyone and, and that I share in every context that I go in, I, I, I find an excuse to slip the word empathy into the conversation. Uh -huh. It's probably annoying by now. 
<laughs> um, but I, but I think it is important. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and it's and it's not that empathy is everything in the world, but I think if people would spend a bit more time to understand others, mm-hmm. it'll it'll make the world of difference for how we go about um, supporting each other on the job. So mm-hmm. so empathy will work from creating the right culture in an organization to how leaders lead their teams. They need to understand, okay, is someone having a bad day? And while you have every right to insist that they do their job, having some sense of what the person is going through could actually help to uh, uh, move that person along more quickly, right? Uh, the same thing applies with from peer-to-peer relationships. Um, and then when you get into bigger systems in the world, like healthcare, so one of my areas of focus is healthcare. Uh-huh. Uh, when you get into bigger systems like healthcare, to me, what really is lacking in healthcare systems across the globe is empathy. So mm-hmm. a really simple thing. If I think if doctors and hospital administrators and politicians really were more empathic to the needs of patients and the loved yeah. ones of patients, it 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 would it would change the priority with which we we choose to solve certain problems. Yeah, definitely. Right? And I think and I think that's with empathy not being there, there's almost an indifference, which is, well, I'm the doctor and I'm doing my job and I'm being paid and well, you're the patient and whether you have insurance, don't have insurance, whether it's a long line that you're waiting on to, to be served today or you're first in line, that really doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just need to get you into my office as quickly as possible and then get you out of my office as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to me, with, with that in healthcare, we see just a, a, a lot of poor treatment of patients across the board. And, and I don't think um, the, the net impact of a lack of empathy, I th- in fact, I think the net impact of a lack of empathy is fully displayed inside of, of our healthcare system. And I'm saying that as someone from Trinidad, I have not lived in the United States. I've spent some time there, but I've, I, I read and watch your stories about your healthcare systems. There's lots um, to read about it. <laughs> yeah, correct, right? And, um, and I think just across the board, empathy is, 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 is a missing link in life. Mm-hmm. So that would be, I, I would say people need to spend more time listening mm-hmm. and getting to know others before they, they form opinions and, and rush to make wrong decisions about how they should approach problems. I think just taking some little bit of time to understand just a bit more will change the outcomes that we have. So thank you all for listening along with us. Now we're just going to talk a little bit about our takeaways from the interview. So Michaeline, how do you think place and identity impacted Lorenzo's work? It was really interesting to hear Lorenzo describe his design perspective. So, you know, the didactic portion of his style, what he reads about and has studied is influenced largely by the European, UK and American perspectives uh, behind design, even though he's interestingly never been to Europe. Um, So that characterizes his approach, but his perspective and the thinking behind his designs is decidedly Trinidadian. Um, So it was interesting to hear someone describe the impact of a place 
on their design work that they've never personally visited. And it just kind of made me think about like the reverberating effects of culture and place that we may not fully realize. Um, what did you think about it? Yeah, I had some similar thoughts. I thought the, I think one big takeaway I took from this is that the training and exposure to different types of design and design aesthetics can really impact your work like it does Lorenzo's. So like you said, like while Lorenzo may be from Trinidad and may work in Trinidad, his design work and aesthetic is twofold. His cultural background with Trinidad and how he talks about Carnival and the parade of the bands as he, as his inspiration and influences. But he also incorporates place and identity into his work from Trinidad and in the American UK aesthetics and the European aesthetics that he's learned over time. And I think that helps him to create a different type of design aesthetic and one that's like just uniquely and completely his own. Yeah, it's kind of like an amalgamation. Like he draws from all these different worlds to make his own design style. I thought that was really interesting. Um, what do you feel like you learned about design, design thinking and social innovation from listening to Lorenzo's interview? That's a great question. I think Lorenzo talked about how design thinking teaches you the thinking part and the empathetic process, um, how to think openly and divergently, but it doesn't inherently teach you what tools to use for certain things. Um, so one thing I learned is that design thinking instead offers a way of thinking in which you yourself are empowered to find which tools can work to make your idea come to life or the tools you need to solve the problems you want to solve. I think Lorenzo talked about how this could be a limitation, but also how it's kind of not and that it can really open your mind to a different kind of productivity that you may not know you could have done before. What about you? Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. Um, so what I noticed was that Lorenzo picked up design during his career and incorporated it into his career and he's used it as a tool, like a professional tool. So he uses design to make his solutions elegant, which he mentions is like the hallmark of a designer is this kind of elegant approach. Um, he believes that formally trained designers may have more formal tools available to them. Uh, but having come from a background in accounting and IT, he's leveraged design in his career in a way he believes formal designers might not actually consider him to be a designer. So it was just interesting to hear Lorenzo describe this because I think the term designer is so subjective and open to interpretation. It's not like nursing or like my field, dietetics, for example, where there's regulation on who has the skill set to be able to use a certain title. Anyone can be a designer and there are varying degrees of designerness. Um, so some people may tell you you're not a designer because you don't fit their criteria. And Lorenzo acknowledges that um, some people from Trinidad might not consider him to be a designer, but he doesn't seem to mind and his sense of identity kind of holds steady. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's such a good point that I think he makes throughout this interview um, and what you just said like perfectly captures that. So both of us are not formal designers. So what advice did you take away from this episode for non-designers who are using design methods? So Lorenzo mentions, or the sentiment I got from him is that the designer believes that everything is solvable. They don't have a defeatist attitude or just see the negatives. Um, and they don't do quick calculations that something might take too much money or too much time. Um, so, so much can change with our mentality and just being willing to give something a shot. You know, for example, he mentions empowering, if you're in a leadership role, empowering employees to realize their ideas by asking them to just create a prototype uh, to experiment and try to create a working model. And it opens up creativity to not shut people down who have ideas. 
Um, what did you think as a non-designer? Yeah, so Lorenzo talked about how you go about problem solving is important to creating an encouraging environment where ideas for solutions have more power and can be enacted on rather than just shut down, kind of what you were talking about. And I think this is important because when you use design methods, you are usually going through a multi-step process. And this process itself really gives more value to the problem solving and works to have every single collaborator have a part in coming up with ideas for a solution. So as we take design methods into our own workplace, we have to like show value in just coming up with ideas and taking it through this process rather than shutting it down. I mean, I think that's the best way that we can empower ourselves and have our collaborators feel empowered to share their own ideas. Yeah, I love that we had kind of similar takeaways from that, um, which makes sense since we're both in public health and probably see things in a similar way. So that was uh, that was interesting to see our perspectives on that. Um, was there anything about this interview that surprised you or that maybe in, inspired you in what he yeah. was talking about? Yeah, you touched on it a little bit. Um, but Lorenzo talked about how design is about problem solving, but solving in a way that is different from how anybody else may solve it by making it elegant, usable, and desirable. I thought that was really interesting and a little bit inspiring. I think it gives a really a different purpose to design and shows how using design methods like design thinking can work to really give you a new way of problem solving that can produce actionable and usable solutions that work for almost everyone. What about you? Yeah, I love that word elegant that he uses. That really stuck out to me. Um, but personally, I was surprised and inspired by Lorenzo's description of design thinking. Um, it made it seem like it lives somewhere between being an art and being a science. Um, the research part of design thinking is so important because designers can then avoid the trap of believing that just because they're creative, they just intuitively know what's best for their customers without doing the research first. But you also need to be creative in order to design the solution. So it kind of lives somewhere in the middle. So I really loved that. Yeah. Um, was there anything you wanted to learn more about? If you could ask Lorenzo another question, what would it be, that kind of thing? Yeah, I would love to hear more about the logistics behind the approach that Lorenzo takes with his team to provide design solutions to companies. Um, like design consulting in that way just seems like such an innovative solution and a way to really catalyze more people seeing the world in a different way. Um, were there any things that you wanted to learn more about? Yeah, I think I would have liked to hear more about Lorenzo's background and identity of being born, raised, and living in Trinidad and how that has directly impacted his work. He touched on it a little bit, but I think I would have learned to hear more just about his own design aesthetic and how he incorporates that into his work specifically. Um, and also what you said is such a good point that I think I would have loved to hear more about that too. But what do you think, listener? Please feel free to check out our website and let us know what you thought about the episode in the comments. Thank you again, Michael. Thank you so much for listening today. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this interview from our Hello from the Pluriverse series. A special thank you to Arturo Escobar, the author of Designs for the Pluriverse, for opening the space for conversations about pluriversality in design. Many thanks as well to all of our interviewees, our Design Thinking student team, Ruby, Lupe, Delaney, Tran, and Wissal, the students of the Fall 2019 SICE 3010 class, Levante, Lucas, our editor, and the rest of the team at the Taylor Center at Tulane. 
If you have any suggestions for our program, please email your comments, suggestions, and questions to taylor at tulane.edu. And also you can visit our website at taylor.tulane.edu.